And welcome to the Happy Hour. The always fun. Semi-informative. Always relevant. And slightly irreverent. Happy Hour talk show presented by Afro Summit. So whether you're on your way to work. Or on your way home from work. Or you're bored at work. Pop in an episode and take a quick shot of the Happy Hour. And here we are, Ariel. Here we are. Hi, that. Louis Tengay. Hello, Ariel Niedermeyer, who right. is the queen of content. And you are the managing director of App Growth Summit. I am. And fortunately, <laughs> we are not alone, Ariel. We are not alone. We are actually with Lomit Patel, the vice president of growth at IMVU. Thanks for coming. He is. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep talking, too, because, you know, I feel like, Lomit, I read your stuff all over, you know, like the mobile industry, but I never listen to you. And you have quite a charming accent, I have to say. I didn't know. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> I actually grew up in England, so um, it's supposed to be British, but it's been Americanized a little bit. So most people think it's either South African or Australian at this point. Yeah, it sounds Australian to yeah. me. So that's basically what what elitist sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds great. So when did you move here? Without trying to give away my age, I, I, moved, in the, <laughs> I moved in the late 1990s. A few yeah. weeks ago. That's <laughs> right. Nice. So you, so you've been in. You're basically an American now. Yeah, yeah. I've spent more time here uh, than I probably have on the other side. Where do you think like the Australian twang comes from, though? Too. To be honest, it kind of came from me needing to adjust the way I used to speak mm-hmm. because um, I went to grad school in in St. Louis in the Midwest. A lot of people didn't really understand the the Queen's English, so to speak. So I had to adjust. And in, in the course of adjusting, it kind of just took a whole new trang of its own, right? Yeah. So you went to St. Louis? I did. Was that the first part? That was my first uh, venture into the U.S. where I actually lived, yeah. So why did why why St. Louis? Was that a choice or was it a family moved here? No, no, no. It, it was actually a choice. I, um, I wanted to come over for grad school, for business school. And I, I did get into some of the well-known universities, like, you know, on the East and West Coast. But um, at the end of the day, I kind of looked at the costs, and uh, it was an ROI decision because St. Louis was going to be a lot cheaper for me. See, he's always doing uh, ROAS analysis. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, drive that ROI. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just, I love that you said the Queen's English because I just recently realized that there are that many England had a queen. No, that there are many different accents within a British accent. Like and it's interesting because if you actually look at England itself, it's quite a small country, but there are so many different accents for all the different regions. Yeah, Bristol or Cockney slang or Or like Manchester or I'm yeah. saying Manchester yeah. in a weird way, but man or the, the Geordie man- accent. Yeah. Which isn't really English, but it is true, yeah. In in the north, the the accents are a lot thicker, and most people don't really understand it if you're from the south, like London. And yeah, yeah, it's kind of like here, but opposite. Like, uh, well, yeah, I guess it's kind of like same. here. You know, like in yeah. the south, they have the their own the kind drawl. of yeah. And then in the northeast, you don't know what they're saying because they yeah. drop their eyes, they yeah. drop the ends of the words, and they just mumble. Actually, you're right. Like the northeast, it's kind of like Manchester. At like you know, the guys in Oasis are from Manchester, right? Are they? Yeah. The yeah. The Oasis, like Oasis, yeah. the man was from yeah, Manchester. If you listen to their voice, it's like yeah, it was, sounds very different. Whenever it depends on which English person you listen to, you might need some subtitles. <laughs> oh yeah, like uh, the Great British Bake Off. Like sometimes I'll watch it, and depending on where people are from, I'm like I cannot understand. Anything. Can you bake? <laughs> can I bake? Uh, I can cook, but yeah. I'm, I'm not a great baker. But I love to go and buy 
stuff. That's what uh, What's your best dish? Oh, what I cook? Yeah, when you cook. I'm really into like Asian food, Asian being like Thai. Mm, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, starting off, um, you know, I used to do a lot of stir fries and stuff like that. Do you have a wok? I do, I do. Oh, yeah. Look at that. That was actually the first thing I brought when I, when I moved out here when I started to learn to cook because that was the easiest thing, right? Just yeah. uh, stir fry, whatever. That's true. Yeah. That's amazing. I want to get a wok. Yeah. I don't have one. All right. Well, uh, for your birthday. Okay. I'll get you a walk from Amazon. Remember that. Tell us what you do at IMVU, Limit. Yeah, so, um, you know, my role uh, as uh, VP of Growth pretty much encompasses our, being responsible for all of our user acquisition, retention, and monetization. So my team primarily just owns the entire customer journey from how we acquire customers, how we can figure out how to keep those customers, and more importantly, how we can make some money to pay everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Everyone knows Lomit pretty much. I mean, this industry knows you. Uh, you speak at a lot of the conferences, keynote a lot of them. You write a lot. You're very prolific. So doing a lot of webinars, all that stuff. Uh, you even wrote a book. Plug your book real quick. Yeah, tell us about it. Sure. Um, so I wrote a book uh, called Lean AI that came out earlier this year. It's done really well on Amazon, and it's part of the um, the Eric Reese, the Lean Startup series. And uh, he, Lomit is a bestseller on Amazon. That's amazing. It always yeah. helps to have multiple streams of income. <laughs> yeah, right. There um, you go. With yeah. All those growth channels, right? right? I know, right? <laughs> so those are the things that most people do know about Lomit. But when I was in Brazil with Lomit um, last year, depending on when you're listening to this, 2019, we were having dinner after a roundtable session that we did off the cuff. And I learned a lot about Lomit as a person. And a lot of people love Lomit, but the thing that I think will help endear them even more to you is the story that you told me in Brazil, and I'll let you tell it to everyone now, uh, is how you were actually homeless and lived out of your car. So do you want to tell us how that came to be and we'll get into that? Sure. Um, just to set the the context going back, you know, I came over to the U.S. Uh, for grad school, um, went to St. Louis for grad school. I graduated. After I graduated, uh, you know, most people that come over as international students, you know, get like a visa where you have to get sponsored by a company in order to uh, to, to stay around. And so I had that one year to find a job. And you know, I applied to a lot of companies in St. Louis. You know, in the end, you know, it just didn't work out for me. I wasn't able to kind of get a company to, to sponsor me. And, you know, things kind of got pretty bad because I'd kind of run out of money at that stage. What I decided to do, was, well, I had no choice really. So I was, I was kind of living out of my car for a little bit. And I was fortunate I had a friend, you know, who let me sort of, you know, stay with him um, on the couch. And, you know, I had another friend that told me, you know, why don't you just come out to Chicago? Because it's like f three, four hours north of St. Louis and, and maybe try your luck here, you know. And, and at that stage, I didn't have, you know, it was, it was a matter of like two and a half months left or whatever before my visa was going to run out. And then it would come and pick me up and drop me back to England, right? <laughs> So, uh, so I moved to Chicago. But what I decided to do, and 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 hopefully some people might find this, in, you know, um, inspiring, is that obviously things are really hard. You know, I was pretty much um, at that stage. You know, trying to find a job was re was really really hard. I was kind of living off like one bean burrito a day because it cost a dollar at Taco Bell, and just drinking a lot of water. So I didn't really act like I, was, you know, my, I felt like my stomach was f fuller than it was. And and then you know I came to the realization that 
you know, I need to do something different here to get my first job because, you know, I can't just sit on, on the laurels saying, hey, I, I have kind of like a, you know, a, a master's degree and, and people are going to just open doors for me. It's not going to work that way. I decided instead of trying to go through HR, which is the, the conventional way of doing it, what's, what's another way to try and get my foot in the door? And so I realized one of the companies that, that I wanted to get, get a job at had a bunch of like temp positions for like a front desk assistant. And I applied for that and I ended up getting that job because the barrier is a lot lower, right? <laughs> yeah. But but the reason why I did that is because I wanted to uh, put myself in the environment of the company that I wanted to work for. And I knew that everybody that worked at that company walked through the front desk. And so it would give me an opportunity to get to know other people that work there and potentially try to network. And essentially, I was kind of betting on my my ability to connect with someone that would sort of lead lead to a position. And then I was there for like a month or and a half. And, and by this stage, I only had like a month left before I had to leave. And um, I noticed there was a job that opened up. And, and, and this time, instead of going through HR and applying, because I noticed um, that a lot of these jobs got posted internally before they were posted externally, I, I decided to reach out to the hiring manager because by that time I had an email account in the company and I didn't really know him that well, but I knew him well enough to have you know spoken to him a few times and, and I reached out and um, advocated for myself and, 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 and told him how interested I was in the job. But, but more importantly, I told him, you know, what my true qualifications were. I wasn't, you know, I was more than, you know, what he had sort of known me for. And um, I was really interested. And by that stage, you know, um, what I did in that one month, you know, I was really getting ingrained in learning about the product, the culture, and, and I'd kind of come up with like a like a marketing plan, you know, on in terms of what I would do if he had hired me. But, but then I, I told him I only have and unfortunately, by that stage, I had like a week to go before my visa was going to run out. And I had another company that, that had given me an offer. which, And so I had a little bit of leverage, but I asked him that I would love to work here. But, you know, at the end of the day, I need to make a decision by Friday. And this was Wednesday. So, you know, uh, I'll kind of leave it in your hands. You know, if, if, if you feel, you know, that that could be a good person in your team, then, you know, um, hopefully you can, you know, try to move my candidacy f- forward. I came in the next day. I didn't know what was going to happen, but he set up eight interviews. And that's sort of the best way to prepare for interviews is when you don't know you're going to get interviewed, right? Yeah. So you don't get nervous. <laughs> and so I came in, I interviewed with eight people, and uh, I ended up getting the offer on that Friday. And and so I was literally like two two days away from like, you know, where I would have potentially been deported. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, or you would, your status would have been Sad, overstayed visa. Overstayed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the actual deportation data still have to find you. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, the, uh, there's a big takeaway in that story around getting your foot in the door. Are there other things you learned about that experience or skills that you took away from that experience? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things people probably don't, maybe some people know or, or don't really notice about me, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty shy. You know, I, I mean, I grew up, I never grew up thinking that, hey, I'm going to be speaking and, and all that. But I was the kid growing up in school that always asked the question why. I was always curious because I always wanted to understand why people did what they did or why things worked the way it did. You know, coming coming to America, I, I had no family here. And, um, you know, what that, what that forced me to do was to get out of my comfort zone to try and connect with people and, and, and get to know people. And what I realized initially when I was applying for jobs and this is the way they generally do it in England. You know, there's there's formalities. You don't try to like cut the line, so to speak. 
you know, you sort of follow your process and you wait for somebody to get back to you. And that's what I was doing. And obviously no one's getting back. That's what not I came the American re- way. <laughs> yeah. But what I, what I realized in America is that, you know, you have to be entrepreneurial. You have to, you know, be the squeaky wheel, you know. And I kind of got out of my comfort zone for me to, to, to even, like, reach out to that potential hiring manager took a lot of courage, you know, I was, yeah. I, I was uh, for me. But what I took from that and, and, and getting over that, that whole fear of doing that once, it kind of set me up because now for the rest of my career, I, you know, it kind of helped me build on onto that kind of confidence where I, you know, I kind of look back, I always look back at that experience because, you know, the reality is I was at rock bottom and, you know, whenever I look to take risks, whether it's my career or other things, what's the worst thing that can happen? I mean, I mean, I kind of came from nothing. I had nothing. So, I mean, you, you, you know, it's like, I mean, everything, you know, beyond that is is, is a bonus, right? So, yeah. so, so there's nothing to really hold me back. Yeah. I just think your story is so important for like right now in our country, but also in terms of like a case study for this industry being resilient and taking risks, right? Yeah. And, and, and I feel that kind of works well, especially in the growth industry. I mean, mm-hmm. that we work in, you know, for the most part. Uh, and, and I'm just trying to sort of bring it back to... Because I know, um, you know, right now during a pandemic, a lot of people are going through a lot of hardships. But ironically, and, and I'm, I'm just trying to say this from, from from my perspective, because I've seen a lot of hardship in my life previously, that this doesn't necessarily like worry me as much because, you know, because I've built up that resilience from previous experiences. So, you know, one of the things that I've, that I've been doing more of is, is trying to be more empathetic to other members of people, not only on my team, but across the company to really just encourage them uh, to know that, hey, this isn't the end. You know, the, the, you know, the sun's going to come out tomorrow and things are going to get better. But f- what I noticed is a lot of people that don't necessarily have a hard life growing up or gone through hard experiences, they're, they're feeling this is a lot worse than people that generally have. I, I mean, I can just share a little bit about my childhood. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit different from most people's as well. Yeah, please. But, uh, you know, one of the things at the time, it didn't look like I had a great childhood. And most people would probably think it wasn't a good childhood. But when you when you connect the dots looking back now, it really helped make me the person that I am today. And and, and one of the things that happened to me when I was young was that I was the youngest of four kids. Um, and for my parents, you know, they moved and they were starting like a small business at the time. And it was hard for them to like, you know, take care of four kids. So my my mom ended up sending me back to stay with my grandparents, my uncles in East Africa. So that's partly where I might have got a bit of this twang on the on the accent <laughs> as well. So I lived, I went through elementary school in 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 Malawi, and um, and 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 what what I would say the fortunate part about doing that was that I ended up going to a really good exclusive school where I was exposed to kids that pretty much were like, you know, rich kids and ambassadors and, you know, all of these kids coming from different parts of the world. So I, I got I got put into an environment where I started to see more than just the environment where I, I would have potentially grown up being young. And, and, and that was really powerful because it kind of opened me up to to sort of, you know, starting to think bigger from a young age. And and then when I came back, um, you know, I only spent like maybe maybe two years with my parents for middle school because I was able to get a scholarship into an exclusive boarding school. So then I went away to boarding school. And, and, and the good thing about going to boarding school, again, I was, I was around all of these kids uh, who really came from really super successful families. And 
you know, I was able to sort of see these different types of like lifestyles that people had that I would never have sort of been exposed to. But the most important thing that I came to realize too was that at the end of the day, we're all humans. We all have the same needs and we all have the same insecurities. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, if, if, if somebody's where, you know, comes from a rich house or a poor house. And, you know, that thing has really helped, helped me now over the course of my career because because what I came to realize is, is being super, super good at what you do, you know, in terms of the hard skills of whatever career you go into is great, but that only gets you to a certain level. Mm-hmm. But, but to really get to the top of any, any career or, or, or in life, you really need to develop those soft skills. And the soft skills for me really got developed from, from my childhood because I was around all these people. So I was able to create this empathetic view on really understanding people and being able to connect with them. And even though I was shy at the time, over the course, it's been, you know, you know, I've been able to get over my shyness. But, but more importantly, you know, I've been able to just able to connect and relate to people. And, and, and that's really important as you continue to go up. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, as, as our team continues to grow, hopefully, <laughs> the next hire that we're doing, actually, I've actually, my job description is all personality based. Like I want to hire the next person based on who they are. And their work ethic, their loyalty, and what they're what motivates them, and if they're motivated. Long story short, we are gonna be looking for people that fit the culture that we want to to develop, and that fit like you know, like the awesome aerial personality <laughs> that can oh, help the team become people that you love to deal with. And then the hard stuff, like you know. What we do is easier than what you do. You know, yeah. we just put on events and make them fun and educational. And we have smart people like you to educate people. <laughs> and that's why I'm doing this podcast and not <laughs> doing any. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I have so many questions I could ask right here about yeah. like, you know, building a really cohesive, great growth team. Um, do you generally follow kind of that strategy around like hiring people that fit the culture and. Or what have you found has been helpful with growing your team? Yeah, you know, I think in building team, you want to try to have kind of a diverse set of like skills. So I generally try to hire people that can kind of complement what I'm not good at potentially or what I don't enjoy doing. But the other thing that I've that I've found when it comes to hiring, and I think, you know, Louis, you brought up a good point. I don't really like to go just check the boxes like, hey, this person you know, had this experience or whatever, I try to hire the person for the potential that they can grow into, you know. Yeah. And, 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 and you wanted that chance because I wanted that chance. Yeah. And, and so, you know, when, whenever I'm sort of interviewing somebody else, I'm always seeing myself like how hard it was for me to even get that first job. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that somebody, you know, is even coming to the interview, I want to be, I want to make sure that I make them feel as comfortable as possible. I'm not the type of interviewer that's going to try to intimidate someone or whatever, or, 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 ask or try them to be weird ultra- questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but the other thing that I'm, I'm, I mean, most people don't probably go down this, but I'm more interested in in kind of you know what's their life story. So I, you know, I don't really want to. You know, I mean, I mean, I can read their resume and go through LinkedIn and 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 have a, an idea in terms of what they've done, but I'm more interested in in knowing what made them become the person that they are today. And generally, I've hired people in my team who, for the most part, there's other people you know because generally there's like a hiring committee, right? You have to go through right. who generally have wanted to know like, hey, veto that hire. But I usually stand by, you know, folks that I wanted to hire. And they've actually ended up becoming some of the best people that I've had. And and I think it really comes down to if you believe in people and 
you know, and and you always expect the best, and then 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 it, then, then it inspires them to to want to do that back for you. Early on in my career, politically, you have to hire some people that looked good on paper because you know that's what your managers or whatever wanted. Generally, it turned out not to be the right people for me because ultimately, work ethic is really important. To have work ethic, you have to have done the work in some capacity before, rather than have told other people to do it right. or grown up with privilege. Yeah, and you have right. to have mot- self-motivation. Yeah. So how do you, as a father, since you obviously have gone through the struggles and now you're able to provide, and as a father, you want to provide a nice life for your kids. So how do you strike that balance as a parent to say, well, I know if they struggle, they're going to develop certain character, but I don't want them to struggle because they're my kids. Like, how do you balance that as a father to, to teach them the good things that they need without making them go through hardships? <laughs> I was going to say, uh, being a parent is hard, you know. Because ultimately, you know, we all have our own sets of baggages, right? Sure. In terms of, you know, from, from the way we were raised or whatever. And the the idea is you want to try to make life better for them than, mm-hmm. than what you'd gone through. But the other part of, of trying to find a balance of if you make it too easy for them, then, you know, they could end up, you know, not living up to their full potential because they kind of create the, uh, the entitlement mindset. And so for me, with my kids, I have two boys. They don't take a lot of interest in what I do, which is great, you know, so it kind of keeps you humble. So, you know, at, at home, you're just dad. And But what I try to do is I try to model the behavior I want them to take, you know, because mm-hmm. I feel kids get influenced more by action than words. As a father, I should be helping out and, and, and doing my fair share with, with all the chores and all that stuff. You know, I want to have a, a relationship with them. Because one of the things I look back at is when my kids turn 18 and, 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 and go away or whatever, I actually want them to come back and, and visit dad, right? Yeah. So so what is the thing that I can do now to build the relationship where no matter what happens, you know, that we'll still have that connection? And and so I kind of look at it as the analogy of being like a like like a bank account. I don't try to make enough depo- deposits into it now, so that you know, like one of my sons is a teenager, but and we all go through different phases or whatever. Where you know, if you, if I need to make some withdrawals, the balance is still going to be positive. And so in in that vein, one of the things that I always keep saying to myself is, first of all, I don't get upset at the person, it's the behavior. So mm-hmm. so it's never about you, it's about the action, mm. potentially. And then the second thing is, if the action isn't really gonna matter in, in like five years or whatever, then don't spend five minutes getting super upset over it. And yeah. and so that's that, that's sort of my, my, my mindset, being a parent. But for the most part, you know, you know, I do a lot of fun things with my kids. But I also, this is one thing that I do a lot is we travel a lot to different parts of the world. You know, I've taken them out and, uh, you know, out of the bubble, so to speak, living in the San Francisco Bay Area. Because the reality is there's a lot of people that are in a lot worse means than than us and and I want them to see that and mm. and so one of the things we try to do is 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 get involved in trying to do some volunteering but more importantly go and spend time in, you know to see other people uh, you know that that obviously aren't as fortunate and 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 and, and get a, a deeper sense of appreciation that that now that you have so uh, you know, uh, certain privileges, how are you going to use that to try and make it better for people that don't? That's kind of the question I always ask them. Mm. 
Look at this. Oh, I just love this conversation. Should we? But should we play some this or that? What do you yes, think? Yes, we should okay. play this or that. We but, could talk to you for uh, hours later. I just want to ask you about your love language and all these other things that I yeah. want to talk about. <laughs> Bring it back to. <laughs> well, what is your love language actually? I'm curious. Yes, uh, well, and he already knows. I, I know it because knows. I know it. He knows yeah. the framework. But just in case, yeah. just in case okay. someone's listening and doesn't know, set it up. Real I just I yeah. will set it up, but I just want to acknowledge the fact that it's so nice when people already know this framework. Okay, good. So you're. Your love language is so there's five main types everyone communicates in all five types but you usually have a top two and i'm going to list them off there's lots of online quizzes you can take to tell you what your love language is but you generally you can self-diagnose so there's acts of service quality time um physical touch uh words of affirmation and gifts giving gifts so what do you think Loma? tell me yeah so i I know what mine is. <laughs> you know, uh, so for me, it's physical touch mm -hmm. first, and then second is words of affirmation. Yeah. Words yeah. of affirmation is my top. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, uh, you and your wife just hold hands and tell each other you love each other. Yeah, you hug. Oh. We do. And, and, and the reality is, you know, uh, you know, for me, that's something that, you know, uh, obviously, if you come from a family that's pretty conservative, you know, you know, where there's not a lot of affection that's shown, you know, uh, it's funny people think that you don't want affection, but you do, you know, yeah. I mean, as a child. So one thing that I do going back to my kids is, yeah. you know, I'm always hugging them. You know, I'm always like, uh, are they like, know, dad, get uh, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, sometimes I get uncomfortable, but, but, it, but, but, it, but the thing is I want to, I want, I want them to know that I'm really, that I love them and I'm proud of them. And, you know, I, you know, that, 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 and they know that's why I express my love. Mm. Yeah, they have no doubts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm Do just... you know what your wife's love language is? Yeah, quality time. Yeah. Uh, so you I, have to then, balance that out to make sure. I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Quality time, and what's the second? And the second one is uh, acts of service. Well, yeah. you have to do two. Yeah. Yes, always two. Well, you don't. You have, have to... a primary and a second. Yeah, right? you have a primary. Oh. Yeah. Thank you, Lewis. See, yeah. so, so that pretty much covers like eighty percent of them so between yeah. the two of you. So emotionally <laughs> aware, I love it. <laughs> and I, I think um, um, Dr. Chapman. I don't know, I forgot his first name. Who mm. came up with that? Right? The I've no yeah. idea. Oh, so I should you, probably yeah. know. Yeah, I know. the teacher yeah. has become the student. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know. Lewis yeah. is out. Yeah. yeah, he's really done his emotional homework. I yeah. love it. <laughs> well, he's an Not, author, so he has to know about authoring. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Not only that, but Ariel, you know, you bring up a good thing. I mean, I mean, a really good point. Because the reality is most of us don't want to talk about our feelings. But yeah. for me, it's really important because yeah. I, I had to suppress a lot of my feelings growing up. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's like it, it's healthy to have an outlet for that. Mm -hmm. Maybe yeah. that's what's wrong with the world right now is yeah. people don't want to talk about their feelings. So yeah. when they do, they finally blow up. That's right. Just, 100%. It's kind of you go from zero to 60 because you haven't had the, the outlet to, you know, to, yeah, to yeah. Just say, well, I disagree yeah. with yeah. you and here's yeah. why. Yeah. And just talk about yeah. it. Or I don't like the way you said that because it makes me feel yeah. this. And so it's like, you're a stupid idiot. Well, yeah. that, we do a huge disservice to people in this society. We don't teach like individuals how to communicate about their deep feelings very cohesively. And we also yeah. stigmatize talking about your feelings. And especially yeah. if you're a uh, masculine or, or masculine presenting individual, like... You know, it's like walk it off, rub it in dirt, like don't yeah. feel anything. Yeah. But sometimes that is a good remedy too, because uh, you also don't want to complain about everything. Right. Don't sweat the small stuff, but I think yeah. we do a disservice to males and masculine presenting individuals around not letting them 
emote. I think that's changed a lot, though. Yeah, I, I would hope like, that it's I think guys nowadays are more sensitive than they ever were. Which is great. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm a sensitive guy. You are. <laughs> okay, so we're going to play a little game of this or that. Uh, it's going to end it on a, on a fun note. On a fun this note. is the happy right. hour. This All right. Is, it's a very complicated game, so just listen to the directions very But carefully. first, I acknowledge and thank you for sharing your story. Oh, and yeah, Lumi, thank you for sharing. See, we're words oh. of affirming you. Yeah, see, <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> Okay, so let's get into some fun Okay, games. so I'm going to say two things, and you have to lightning fast pick one. Okay. Don't overthink it, okay. Teacher or student? Student. <laughs> Breakfast or dinner? Dinner. iOS or Android? iOS. Texting <laughs> or calling? Texting. After IDFA, is it still iOS? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, TikTok or IG Reels? TikTok. Ooh. Are you on TikTok? I'm not, but, uh, but yeah, okay. I'd like but, to see Loma do some of these dances. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, work from home or go into the office? Work from home. Really? For the uh -oh. most, <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel the like it, scratch. Well, yeah. here's the thing. I have a bone to pick about this. I yeah. was down uh -oh. for it, but now I feel like a caged tiger, and I'm wondering how everyone else in yeah. mobile is doing after. So well, Loman has a beautiful family that he loves. So he yeah. doesn't mind <laughs> yeah. being home. <laughs> yeah, but. I mean, for me, um, it really depends on your commute, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, my commute, for the most part, has always been at least like two hours each race. I'm spending right. four hours in a car. Because you own a house, then I assume you must own property to do yeah, that to yourself. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And so I think it's important to sort of be in the office, but I, but I think the uh, traditional model where you just have to be at work just for the sake of showing your face mm -hmm. is... Is, is kind of old school. You know, I feel that most people should be trusted to be productive where they are. And in the interim, trying to find ways where you can kind of connect with different team members. So, you know, one of the things that I've started doing, you know, is, is just surprise, is, is just sort of trying to meet up and, and take kind of, you know, social distance walks with some folks on my team, you know, mm -hmm. even though they don't live near me, but it's been kind of nice, you know, outside of just seeing them on Zoom all the time. So we try to kind of meet up that way. Yeah. Yeah. But having said that, you know, I think, you know, one thing that people have to realize, your biggest resource at the end of the day is time. And so, you know, if it makes sense to use your time productively, if, as long as your commute isn't crazy. But if your commute is crazy just to get into work, maybe that time is, is, is leveraged better by, you know, working from home. Yeah, mm. I feel that. Okay, uh, two more. Cubed ice cubes or crushed ice? Crushed ice. Ooh. Is it cubed if, it, if you do like the little fancy balls? The, like the big one? Oh. Yeah, like the snowball ones? Because I yeah. have those. Oh, no, I've, that's not a cube, though. But that's what I mean. Like, do you mean like a solid one block object versus crushed, or they have to be cubed versus crushed? So then, if that's, I think case, it can be either be the big ice cube, as long as it's in like a cube, a one yeah. part, yeah, not little. Parts. Yeah. Can I just say that when people have like a fancy ice tray that they use, they do talk about it like this. They're like, "Oh, well, I do. It's shaped well, like a butterfly." I, like, I have like a normal. I have normal trays too that I use all the time. I just save that for for when I have like whiskey. Yeah. I just feel like <laughs> it people just looks so cool. <laughs> ice cubes are like it's kind of like latte art. Like people like I don't know. Some people are really oh, into it. Speaking <laughs> of that, this okay. is the happy hour. What's, oh, what's your drink? Yeah, what's your go-to drink for celebration? If you do drink, it's and you it can be non-alcoholic too. Yeah, it's really funny because you know, I mean, I mean, socially, I might have one drink, but I'm not, I'm not a huge drinker. Mm -hmm. uh, and and people don't realize, I mean, my favorite drink is orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> 
he says as he drinks water right now. Fresh <laughs> squeezed though, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You ever make water. orange juice at home? Uh, no, I generally just buy it. Yeah, it's, just... it's a lot less work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially if you don't have an orange tray. <laughs> Hold on. Side note. You know, I tasted Marmite recently for the first time. What is that? Isn't that disgusting? Oh, okay. I'm not because I don't want to. I don't want to alienate anybody who's from Marmite. The UK. (laughs) By the way, for anyone who wants to know, it's Marmite, not Vegemite. Vegemite is Australia. Mm -hmm. And British people will get offended if you don't know that. But yeah, I mean, it's so tangy and like it's got some spunk to it. You know what I mean? Do you eat it? No, I don't like it. <laughs> there you go. So do, like, it's not like all British people love Marmite. I think it's kind of like a Were stereotype. Were you born in Britain? Good question. So I was actually born in, in, in Malawi. What? Yeah. We haven't been talking about this. Yeah, That's but, good... but, but the story behind that was, as I mentioned, you know, I'm the youngest of four. And, and, and my mom had, like, three daughters and they were, tr- they were, they were well, hopefully kept trying to try and get a son uh-huh. so my so uh, my grandmother you know her parents told her why don't you come over here maybe your luck might change so that's why i was, I was born in, in <laughs> and Africa. it did yeah so they were right yeah. oh, Malawi. <laughs> even though there's no science behind that it's right. just they were right though yeah, that's right <laughs> my goodness so international okay so I, w- I have one more yeah go for that. It. okay last question i just want to really make sure to know you know i'm just gonna let you and I'm not going to answer any clarifying questions. Soccer or football? Football. <gasps> he is British. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to like confuse him, though, if he like, said football. Like, I don't know. Football. Football. Or if you're in Brazil, futebol. Futebol. <laughs> Let's see. So that's what you can do next time that we're allowed to go down to Brazil and travel again. Um, yeah. You should bring the family down and, and come back down to Sao Paulo again. That would be fun. Then I'll be yeah. uh, fluent in Portuguese. That's right. Instead of just stumbling around. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Lomit. Thank you very much for sharing your story yeah. and for doing this. Uh, I think it was really important. Like I said, uh, everyone knows you from the millions of talks and books and everything that you've done. But like, and people love you for your mentorship and being a nice guy. And I think now people just love you even more. Look at that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for having me, Louis Ariel. Hey, you made it to the end of the episode. Thanks for taking the journey with us, and we hope you found it exactly as advertised. Where it was mostly fun and entertaining, but we did manage to get in a little tech talk in there as well, so you can kind of tell your managers that this was actually time spent doing work stuff. Trust me, we won't tell on you. Please subscribe so you can get notifications every time we release an episode. And please head on over to appgrowthsummit.com. Let us know what you thought or let us know if you'd like to be a guest in a future episode or recommend the guest that would be absolutely amazing. Please tell all your friends and colleagues about the happy hour and be sure to have lots of laughs until the next episode.